0: The NTU would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wadjuk Noongar people. We would like to pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging, and to note that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Welcome to the final podcast, the final version of the Bargain Hunters for 2022. My name is Scott Fitzgerald, on the branch uh, president. I'm joined here today with my inimitable vice president, Ryan Mead Hunter. Hi, Scott. Thanks. Nice to be here. And Francis Russell. What can I say about Francis that hasn't already been said? Um, welcome, Francis. What can you say about me that hasn't been published in Perth, <laughs> now? <laughs> <laughs> Perth <laughs> now online? Um, Scott,
0: that was great. Thank that you. That was a great intro. Yeah. We've got to get you doing more of the intros. Uh, yeah, I should. I, I reckon. Should. Yeah. Anyway, let's go. Okay. So, Scott. Brilliant introduction thank there. You, thank don't you. think you can replace me though, mate. <laughs> <laughs> don't start getting, don't well, start getting too big for your britches, mate.
1: No one's you know, irreplaceable.
0: So, this is a bittersweet episode, I suppose. Feel a little bit ambivalent about it because, on the one hand, I think our branch has a lot to feel proud about. I think that our membership has a lot to feel proud about. Everyone involved has put in an enormous amount of work. And I think we've stood by the membership. Um, The membership has had a lot of resolve and we've rejected management's position. On the other hand, it is a shame after all the work that we put in and after all the goodwill that our membership put in, in various forms of consultation over the last 18 months and particularly in the five months of bargaining we've done this year, the management haven't been really willing to compromise or attempt to sit down with us and do the hard work of of getting an agreement that gets Curtin staff what they need to do their jobs. Maybe we should just begin by giving everyone a little bit of a refresher of management's quote unquote final position. Scott, I mean, let's start. Do do you think management know what a final position or a final
1: offer is? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, We were given various copies of the final the final offer, the final agreement, um, but they weren't complete. and uh, We asked for further updates and details changed. Uh, this is the final, 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 final offer apparently, although there's intimations that we'll be meeting again in 2023 to discuss it further. So a little bit confusing. Surely it's a bargaining tactic, but it doesn't give much clarity for staff moving into the Christmas period, the shutdown period. The, um, the beloved limited service period, uh, it would have been better if we had a much clearer understanding of what the position was.
0: Yeah, so I mean I think like that that's what was odd meeting with management last week is that they were um, very clear that this is the final offer that they're going to put to to staff, but then also attempted to insinuate that maybe the offer would get worse next year if the union didn't accept it, which sounds like that's not your final offer, then you're still open to putting something else to staff. But but as you said, Scott, I I, I did get the sense that there is a reasonable chance management will sit down with the NTU in in 2023.
1: And some areas we haven't advanced at all. Nothing's changed. And so it's quite odd to say that after five months of negotiations, uh, we're back at square one. I'll give you an example uh, with the First Nation uh, claims there. It seems that there was originally um, some opportunity for management to reach agreement with the NTU. Then there was a hardening of position. Then that softened somewhat, and now we're back to a position where, f- around uh, First Nation employment targets, where we started. So it's it's kind of odd.
0: Ryan, what do you think then about a non-union ballot? So management made clear in a communication to all staff that they would not go to a non-union ballot in 2022, uh, and that you know that obviously looks like um, is, is something that they'll they'll commit to. Do you still see that as being a reasonable
2: possibility early next year? Yes, I do. So we were told in many of these meetings towards the end that university would consider all of their options moving into the new year. And so we have to be aware that that is a possibility um, going forward. We've certainly seen other universities in the sector move on to non-union ballots. And so Griffith and the University of Newcastle this week, for example. And so ultimately we need to wait and see what happens there. I know we're all doing a bit of phone banking to help out um, our colleagues at those campuses, so hopefully the non-union ballots there will be defeated. But it's something that does seem to be becoming a standard tactic in this round of bargaining for universities to push ahead with a non-union ballot when they are unable or potentially unwilling to actually come to an agreement with the union. And while that is somewhat concerning, Wouldn't want anyone to panic just yet because we still think there's a lot worth fighting for in this agreement. So we've seen pay offers well below what other universities have got in the sector. And really, in terms of our casual staff, we went in with several claims. We wanted 17% super for casuals. They're the one group of staff that don't get 17% super. We wanted some form of sick leave for casuals. So that if they do the prep work, but then are sick and can't deliver, they can actually still be paid. And we wanted a commitment from the university to actually look at converting casuals who've been on casual contracts, for sometimes up to 10 years, doing substantially the same work each year to actually be moved to continuing positions. This is much like the conversion process put in place at Western Sydney and ACU. And so we got traction with management on none of those items. And when we pushed ahead with that, we pushed ahead with the claim about... Putting limits on where you could employ casuals, so limiting it to where it was only ad hoc work of a temporary nature, and still they said no to that. And so basically in response to a comprehensive suite of claims around casual employment, we got casuals can have what's in the national employment standards. So that is the legal minimum we can offer them. And for us, uh, that's not good enough. We all know casual staff, we all know how incredibly passionate and hardworking they are, and they really deserve better.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Ryan. And I I think it's also important that we think about how these issues have that knock-on effect. Because if you can make casuals permanent, um, it doesn't just mean that you give that individual better job security. It also means that you give all your colleagues better job security because there's not this this sort of, um, you know, reserve army of labour, but also it just means that the workload can be more equitably distributed because we have people here all re- year round as opposed to only being here in the in the two main semesters.
2: Uh, exactly. And it also gives these staff the opportunity to actually participate in career development, potentially research as well, and actually become part of the university and there are obvious benefits to the university itself through this as well. So having staff, for example, that are around all year, that are engaged, that are able to respond to emails, I always think it's really funny when people lament that our uh, casual staff just don't read their emails. Like, well, you don't pay them to read their emails. So if you put them on staff properly, give them continuing positions, then you'll get that buy-in. Like it's better all around, really. Scott, what did you
0: think to the um, email we received... It would be last week now about the update to the ngalo Your Voice survey, because what I thought was odd about the email, it suggested that we're trapped in a cycle of management saying, look, you don't you don't need us to improve things at the level of the agreement. We can handle it at the level of policy and procedure. With our current policies and procedures, they're, they're not up to scratch and they need to be updated. And we've got a range of different programs battling bureaucracy, whatever. Then when we get the new policies and procedures, we sort of just implement them. They don't improve anything. And then after five to ten years, we go, oh, well, I guess our policies and procedures went up to scratch and now we need to go through sort of this change. I mean, is that your sense that it's just a cycle of um, saying, we don't know what the problem is, and then when we do the research to discover the problem, we don't do anything about it, and then we say, oh, we don't really know what the problem is?
1: Yeah, also with the uh, Nulliwangi survey, Uh, I mean, it's been around for long enough, it's had a number of different forms, and I think as a research instrument, it's become weaker and weaker. So originally it had a range of questions that related to senior leadership, related to policy, uh, had questions about bullying and harassment, had open-ended questions where people could clarify exactly what they meant. Over a period of time, the survey instrument became shorter and shorter, less informative, uh, to the point where look there was acknowledgement that it really wasn't doing what it was supposed to so it was put on hold uh and now in 2023 we might get another survey uh, and then there'll be time to reflect on what that might mean and as you said it'll just start another cycle of review without actually fundamentally changing some of the issues for example with manageable workloads um it's you know a consistent issue across all those surveys for a number of years things have to change fundamentally and that's why the uh, fixing it through the agreement is much better than trying to fix it through uh, like an online spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, and I think like if you're listening to this episode and it's the first episode you've listened to of the podcast, we're not going through the nitty-gritty of the clauses or management's position in our position because just nothing fundamentally has changed now. It's been months and months and months of us telling management that we are not going to accept sub- substandard clauses We are not going to accept substandard pay. We want something done about arbitrary restructures, uh, workload that is not sustainable, job insecurity. We want there to be better representation and we want there to be, um, you know, meaningful mechanisms for input for First Nations staff at the university. And we're in bargaining, so let's do it now. Let's fix it now. Let's sit down and really try to be, you know, the architects of a better university instead I just thought it was odd to receive an email saying thanks for all your input and sometime in the future there will be a review of all your feedback and we'll get along to creating a tool that will allow you to give us feedback on what you want fixed and I just thought we've come out of a roadshow that told you what was broken we're in bargaining right now and you're ignoring most of that feedback and now we're being told I'll oh, just wait another 12 to 18 months and we'll have a brand new tool to get more feedback and it, it, it just sounds like you know, we're, we're just moving the pieces around here, but there's there's, there's not much interest on management's uh, side to, you know, work with the union to fix things.
1: Yeah. I mean, a cynic would say it's a delaying tactic. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not just that. I'm sure there is, um, you know, a commitment to developing a brand new survey that can once again tell us what we maybe already know about how things are managed, about how people feel. Um, so let's wait and see.
0: So... Management's tools to pressure staff are to withhold pay, which they're still doing. So we're the only public university in WA that that hasn't offered a a pay increase during the cost of living crisis. The threat of a non-union ballot, which I'm not not accusing management of um, overtly uh, threatening, but it sort of, you know, Ryan, as you alluded to, it sort of just looms there, the fact that management are not really interested in um, negotiating with us further, even though there's so much we don't agree on. So those are the tools that management have. What are the tools that we're using to pressure management at the moment?
1: Well, a fundamental tool, tool, I should say, is uh, a fundamental tool is uh, protected action. So, of course, we've already had a podcast about this in terms of the um, world significant result in terms of that um, protected action ballot. That means that those industrial actions are all live. Uh, We had 30 days to initiate those actions. Uh, Myself and others on the bargaining team are taking industrial action this coming week. Um, It won't have a significant impact upon the university, probably won't be noticed, Um, but it does mean that when we need to in 2023, we can move towards actions that will hopefully uh, sharpen the focus of the management bargaining team on what staff are saying. Staff have been saying what they need, what they want through various um, instruments. We've already talked about the Nullawongi survey for a number of years, pointing out that workloads, for example, were unmanageable. We've had the roadshow consultation, highlighting the top 10 things that staff would like to see. These all seem to be inconsequential for management at this stage, but I think once we get back in 2023 and we start to pull the levers of industrial action, if need be, things might change.
0: And Ryan, just for anyone listening who is a bit confused, can you just give a little bit of an overview of why now in very late December do we have uh, union members taking industrial action? What is what is the can you give us just a little a little gloss of the Kafka S system that we have in Australia?
2: Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, this is um, a reflection of our work um, legislation and IR laws within Australia. So. You'll all remember we applied for Protected Industrial Action quite a while ago, and when this went through, the university challenged it and basically said that they thought the questions were vague and staff wouldn't be able to understand what a ban on taking phone calls, for example, was. And so we had to go ahead and challenge that. So it was an appeal, uh, full bench of the Fair Work Commission, a very long hearing, uh, obviously lot of stress a lot of pressure on us to actually go through this but we got a fantastic result as scott alluded to in the end which reinstated our 10 questions so the 10 form of industrial actions we would like to take uh, but had the process or rather the result of delaying the vote which meant that we weren't in a position to actually take industrial action this year at a more meaningful time so basically run through the process and this is the earliest we could possibly take it and we are compelled by the way the legislation works, to actually take that action now, which is why Scott was talking about the activation of those things. And so once they're activated, so it's from that 30 days of the vote getting up, um, we will then have them throughout the bargaining process. And so by a few members of the bargaining team, you know, taking the sacrifice now, wearing the hit, if you like, and taking those actions, that mean they'll be available to the collective membership in the new year. And so. One of the things we will be doing in the new year is talking to the membership and obviously saying how we are going to go about taking these actions, how we can target them, and how we can use them to the effect to actually get a better deal for staff.
0: That's great. And so it's really just a matter of by um, taking industrial action now, even if it's, it's almost in a somewhat symbolic way, it gives the union the right to then repeat those actions during bargaining whenever they want. For instance, we might decide... Um, next year during orientation week or the first week of semester that, that we might want to have some work stoppages or something like that. But in order to gain the right to do it, now we need to have a few members of the bargaining team um, perform those actions.
1: Yeah, it gives a right to the um, uh, our fellow members in 2023. Look, hopefully we don't have to get to a situation where we take industrial action. It's not something that's um, predestined. But I, I, I do hope that management changes it posi- its position. Um I, I don't know exactly what um, advice it has been given about bargaining at this stage, but hopefully next year it'll, it'll change. Scott, Ryan, do
0: you have any final message then for the membership? Because it's looking like this is going to be the final podcast for this year. I'm sure we'll be making more podcasts next year as there'll be a lot to talk about, um, probably around uh, protected industrial action, maybe around future negotiations with management. We'll just have to wait and see. But what would your final message to the membership be for the year
2: i guess i first of all say thanks to the membership we've certainly felt your support throughout the year in bargaining had many uh, very useful conversations uh with members as well so we're certainly feeling all your support and uh, so we'd like to thank you for that and obviously hope we can continue on relying on your support into the new year but also given it's that time of year I'd like to wish everyone a merry christmas and if you don't celebrate christmas obviously uh, have an opportunity to have a well-earned rest, spend time with your family, maybe do a bit of travel and obviously a safe and happy new year. That's great.
1: Scott? Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm I feel a little bit teary now for that. I, look I just uh, th- again thank you to all our members. It's been brilliant uh, the amount of engagement, the amount of uh, support we've got this year but also just uh, the, the way in which members have st- stood up for themselves and for each other and pointed out that this is their university too. This is staff's university. Uh, we're the soul of the university and it's important that we take um, in our hands the future of how the in- institution is going to look like and make sure it's more equitable, more sustainable and fairer.
0: Yeah, I, I, look, I completely agree and, and, and i really like to reiterate both of your thanks to the membership. If you look at Australia more broadly and, and you look at sectors outside of higher education, but that are comparable to higher education, there have been um, unions that have settled for pretty low pay increases and and pretty measly improvements to their conditions during an unprecedented cost of living crisis. And I guess that's why, for me, I started by saying this is sort of a bittersweet thing to record. On the one hand, again, I really did hope, like I'm sure you guys did, that we would have reached agreement with management by now and and had a, a genuinely... Um, um, decent offer to present to our membership. But on the other hand, I'm glad both that our membership have instructed us to keep fighting, that we haven't folded and accepted a a substandard offer, but also that we haven't ended up in a position like some other unions in WA where there's been discord between leadership and the membership, where the membership have wanted to go hard and some aspects of leadership have, have wanted to settle. Early, It really feels in the NTU at the moment, whether that's in the national leadership, the national industrial and legal team, whether that's the, the, the state level leadership or whether it's, you know, the branch leadership here at Curtin, that everybody is on the same page, that enough is enough and it's time to get an agreement that actually fixes the problems that, as you both alluded to, we, we've known have been a blight in the sector for, you know, several decades now.
1: We've been very lucky to have a a good group, Um, not only do we have great members here at Curtin, arguably the best university in WA, that's not really an argument, it's a fact. But um, we've also had great, great members here, but also I've I've been lucky enough to have a great branch committee. Um, So I'd like to say thank you for the branch committee for all their work this year. I'd also like to thank members of my bargaining team. So Ryan, excellent work francis excellent work unfortunately folks Sean can't be here she gives her love um, she's been a fantastic vice president professional we've been ably supported by chloe durand uh, a wonderful branch organizer wayne cupido from the national office has been our excellent industrial officer uh, and of course we've been supported by the national office uh, people like kelly thomas renee veal etc so big shout out to the rest of the NTU that supported us so ably through in, through this really um, difficult time. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks, guys. And um, I'll see you both in 2023. Have a good yeah, one. Let's Thank do you. it. Okay. Cheers, fellas. Thank you. Cheers.